It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show, James Van It's car con carne still in quarantine. Quarantine con carne sponsored tonight by C&H Financial Services. As business owners open back up to serve their communities, they're faced with a lot of challenges as they navigate through this new normal brought on by coronavirus. CNH Financial Services is here to help. They offer a variety of products that range from traditional merchant accounts to a zero-cost payment processing solution, which eliminates the expense associated with accepting Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express as a form of customer payment. CNH Financial Services eTab solution is easy to set up for your business for online ordering, curbside pickup, and CNH also offers cost-effective commercial lending programs to help get your business the money it needs to make it through these unprecedented times. Every time I say unprecedented times, I feel like playing melancholy piano music like every commercial on TV. To learn more, contact CNH Financial Services at 855-600-2437 or go to www.chfs.us. A quick programming note, Carcon Carney, tomorrow night I'll be joined by Chicago radio legend, Radio Hall of Famer John Landecker, John Records Landecker. Thursday night, one of the greatest songwriters in America is here in Chicago. He is Michael McDermott. He's returning to the show. And Friday night on Caracon Carne, one of the first cast members of the real world and a musician in his own right, Andre Como. That's what's coming up the rest of this week on Caracon Carne. Tonight, however, we stay in Chicago. We head over to the Ravenswood area. I have with me tonight Dr. Sonnet Birnaker Hart, co-owner of Koval, Koval Distillery, on Ravenswood. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I love, I asked you before we started talking, do I call you doctor? Do I call you sonnet? I want to call you doctor. I want to be reverential, but I'll, I'll call you sonnet because you said it was okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So 5121 North Ravenswood, are you moving? Is, is, that, is that something that's still happening? Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, we are currently pretty much operating out of both facilities, 5121 and 4241. We moved to 4241 for the main production uh, activities about five years ago. And uh, the 5121 became more of sort of our public facility. You know, it was still a functioning distillery and we were still, you know, doing things there on occasion, but really it was more for the public, tours, tastings. And we weren't really allowed to have more than one retail license. It's actually, you know, illegal. <laughs> so we had to wait until the 4241 was completely ready um, to bring it all over into one place. So that's what we've been working on for a while now. And of course, COVID has slowed the process, but we are almost there. We're hoping to move the store over by you know, the end of July, and then hopefully to open the bar soon thereafter. So I caught Maybe you not. at caught you at a rare quiet moment, is what you're telling me. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. I used to live over by Leland and Polina, and I moved out of there in 2002. The second I move out, six years later, you're moving in. There's a Mariano's in the neighborhood, which just <laughs> proves that I need to leave an area for it to become interesting. <laughs> I, well, I could have walked on over. You know, I, I mean, it's so funny. I, I grew up in Wrigleyville before there were lights. So it was a very, it was, it was very quiet 
relaxed neighborhood, lots of families. Uh, I remember there was a, an elderly lady on the corner. She would make tortillas out of, you know, one of these shops. Um, it, it was, you know, just the corner store and we would go there and now it's a very different place. Oh. So <laughs> to, to the point of being unrecognizable. Yes. So see what happens when I leave a neighborhood? <laughs> Fair. So, but one of the interesting things that people always talk about, and I'm going to talk about right now, is the fact that Koval was the first post-prohibition distillery in Chicago. And I, that blows my mind because there was a lot of time in between prohibition and when you opened. Is it just that hard? Is there just that much red tape in Chicago that no one wanted to even try? There's a lot of, there was a lot of red tape in the entire United States. I mean, you have to think about the fact that when we got started, there were probably less than 25 distilleries in the entire United States. And most of them were incredibly large multinational companies. And, you know, if you, by comparison, if you think of a place like Austria that has probably around the same population as like the greater Chicagoland area, uh, maybe a little bit, a little bit more than that, but they, they've got 20, about 25,000 distillers. So we were really far behind um, when it, when it comes to distillery and distillery licenses, you know, about 12 years ago when we got started. And in most states at the time, the laws had actually not been changed since prohibition. And that was, you know, created a situation which first, I think people were nervous about starting a business uh, where, you know, there weren't really good laws that were, you know, pro that kind of a business. Right. And, uh, and everyone sort of thought it was the purview of these very large companies. I mean, when we said we were starting a distillery, it sounded to a lot of people like we were just going to quit our jobs and start a pharmaceutical company. I mean, it was, you know, it's just wasn't what people thought that you just did. And we were lucky because, you know, Robert comes from three generations of distillers in Austria we knew how to actually make the product, but you know the whole business structure and legal framework for doing it was a real adventure. And you know I had to get the laws changed in Illinois to make it possible to do the things that really help a family distillery like ours, which is do tours, tastings, uh, be able to retail on site, none of which was legal when we got started. Wow, that, that's incredible. I, 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 that blows my mind. So you helped change those rules, change those laws. You were a lobbyist. <laughs> yes. Thank I went I down to Springfield pregnant multiple times to try and get uh, the craft, the first craft distillers uh, bill passed that allowed for tourist tastings and retail that, that really essentially was the first change to the laws since prohibition. A grateful city. Thanks you. <laughs> And a grateful state. Yeah. yeah we're, all, we're all grateful. Thank you for that. I, I like your approach. A local is a defining characteristic of the distillery, whether it's the barrels from Minnesota or the water from Lake Michigan, which I know you put through a lot of uh, processing because of the thought of using Lake Michigan water might sound scary, but uh, <laughs> and grains from local farms. I mean, you are, you are keeping things here in the Midwest. That was, I'm assuming, a really important thing as you were developing this business. Well, you know, it was actually something that is very common abroad. You know, if you think about family distilleries in, in Europe, is they, they work with what they, they grow locally. Um, it becomes sort of 
something that people seek out, you know, what, what are they making in this part of the country? And, you know, I think with the entire craft movement, those kinds of uh, projects really became possible is that you were able to do that. It, it, it was really opened up all sorts of avenues of creativity is really seeing what was possible in our own, you know, part of the world. Um, you know, we got to do fun projects with, for example, Oriana, I don't know if you know her, but she's an amazing woman who has her own, um, farm that she grows all Asian pears and pawpaws and all sorts of oriental, she calls it Oriana's Oriental Orchard. Um, she, you see her at different farmers markets in Chicago, but we worked with her. She went up on her tree and, and got us these young walnuts uh, that were green and that we turned into a liqueur. We made pawpaw liqueur with her um, in the beginning. We've, we've been able to work with a whole cooperative of organic farmers uh, for our cranberry gin. We're working with uh, organic cranberry farmers also in the Midwest. So it's really, we even made a sun Sunchoke brandy with uh, sunchokes from Wisconsin. So, I mean, it's really been a, a fun experience, you know, working with other farmers in the community and also seeing what grows locally because, you know, that, that helps give us our own identity. You mentioned the cranberry gin. I think there's an inclination to treat it as a holiday beverage, but let's be clear, that's fine all year round. Oh, for sure. In fact, right now, is actually one of my favorite times to drink it because it makes such a wonderful summer cocktail. You just add sparkling water and a little lime and you are good to go with some ice. <laughs> I've, I've like, you know, blended it up as well. And it's so refreshing. I mean, back in the day when we had parties, you know, and people would like gather, I would, I was already, I would bring some. And then I remember I went to one party and, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And somebody sort of hid it behind a picture because they, they didn't want anyone else taking it, but it was like, you know, it was a summer party and, and uh, yeah, so it's good year round. Well, let's talk about some of the other offerings. I mean, bourbon, rye, whiskey. What, what is white rye? It is an unaged rye. So all whiskeys come off as still sort of, you know, colorless, at least they should. Um, and, you know, it's, it, people can also call it a white dog. They can call it new make. Um, uh, it's, it's called a white whiskey if it sort of goes through a barrel. Uh, so aged, but a very short period of time. Uh, but what it does is it allows you to have a spirit that's sort of an un, some largely unadulterated, uh, pure rye spirit. In, in Europe, it's sort of like a rye brandy. They would, in Germany or Austria, they would just call it a Rogen, which is just rye. But it allows you to taste what it really is before you add all these different flavor elements that you get from a barrel. A lot of the distilling process, I think for many of us, seems like magic. Just the fact that it, it starts with grains and such and turns into this wonderful elixir. Explain the single barrel philosophy or, or how you do things. Well, single barrel, you know, there, there are a few things about it. First of all, single barrel allows for a good bit of traceability. So you are able to, you know, with every, in fact, with every one of our bottles, we can trace it back to the field on which it was grown. So if it's just one barrel, you know, it's, it, it is somewhat unique to itself. There's very slight variations uh, with among the barrels now, but the other side of it is while we do do single barrel uh, for traceability, we, we 
don't do single barrel with the intention of having every barrel be very different. We try and have consistency in all of our spirits um, so that if somebody enjoyed one barrel, we want them to enjoy the next one too. So um, if there is too much of a variation, we won't release it. It would become something else or a special edition product or, or something because we want to make sure that people who enjoy our bourbon, you know, can go back to it every time and still enjoy it the same way. So, and those barrels end up in the hands of the beer community, beer community, the uh, Scotch community in Scotland, the uh, beer community in Japan, our barrels have gone all over the world. It's, it's really it's so cool. Yeah. They have a really fun second life. So yeah, sneak. So no secret 2020 has been, a mess. It's been unfortunate. It's hit businesses in all different kinds of ways. You got into the hand sanitizer or the sanitizer business because of COVID-19 and that, that hasn't stopped. I and mean, that's a, a necessary and interesting pivot that Koval's taken this year. Absolutely. Well, you know, I feel with Koval, we're pivoting almost every day, but uh, with regard to the hand sanitizer, I mean, we, we like many distilleries uh, all over the United States, we saw that there was a need for hand sanitizer. And, uh, you know, within our community, there were many rumblings of, you know, wanting to make hand sanitizer. Problem was, it was actually illegal because distilleries that have a license to make alcohol for consumption are actually not allowed to make alcohol for anything else. And so it was, you know, early days, we reached out to Discus, which is our trade organization. And we reached out to the TTB, which is our regulatory body to try and make sure that we would get the allowance to be able to actually make it. And I believe that we received the official okay. It was a Thursday night at around 630 that the email came into my inbox. And we'd been sort of preparing for the eventuality uh, long before, but it was that Monday that I was out delivering hand sanitizer to first responders. So we, we managed, my team was really supernatural. I mean, we turned it around very quickly and instituted an entire new process, put a whole new product into our system. Um, and, you know, we were then once again, pivoting every day to be able to deal with it. And I think a lot of businesses have had to do that. And I think it's, it's a good exercise, maybe trying to think of this as a glass half full situation, find new ways to extend who you are and what you, what you're capable of doing and find surprising things you can do. Absolutely. I feel that right now innovation is key and that businesses that look at this moment as one that forces them to innovate and develop and grow, um, it, it will ultimately be helpful for their business. I mean, I know that we, <laughs> through this, had to do so many things that we had never really done before. I mean, one, you know, we were trying to donate things for free. And at, at first, that was our goal to do a few batches. And then it turned into us needing to figure out a way to do it for free much longer. Um, and, and, and then we, we got into, you know, starting to figure out ways to raise money and to work with other foundations and to, uh, you know, create an entire infrastructure around donations, which we'd never done before. Right. And, uh, and, and then we, you know, had to work on logistics. We had to work on an entirely new tech backend to our system because it was a new product that needed to be handled differently. So we were growing 
the whole tech side of our business. We were growing the whole skill set of my team. Also the whole, you know, different, we were working with different organizations that we hadn't really worked with before, like hospitals. Um, and so it was a really interesting experience. And I think that, that through it all, um, we saw so many other people, you know, pivoting and, and working in tandem with us. I mean, the brewing community, you know, came, came uh, to us and, and donated their beer so that we could then distill that and turn it into hand sanitizer. And, you know, the need for figuring out solutions to problems that came about such as, you know, as a distillery, we don't deliver to people. I mean, it's actually not allowed. We've got one customer normally and that's our distributor and they're the ones that deliver everything around. But when we're making hand sanitizer and donating it, all of a sudden we had 300 people that are, you know, organizations that we needed to deliver things to and had no clue how to do that. So then, you know, other people came out of the woodwork and helped us with that as well. We had an elevator company in Chicago, Coney Elevator Company to Chicago as the tourism board came and helped us with deliveries. We had, you know, it was uh, a company that normally does uh, recycling came with their truck almost every day to help us do deliveries. And it was really an amazing testament to how Chicago knows how to get it done. And when we work together, we can really do anything. And it was so heartening and gave me a lot of hope for the future. I, I love that story. I, it gives me hope too. And it's <laughs> worth mentioning since we're talking about sanitizer. Uh, here's a commercial plug. Now through Sunday, 10% off your Koval order with the code Koval fourth, and you get a free eight ounce bottle of sanitizer with every purchase of $35 or more. Bring home some rye, get some sanitizer as a GWP. Some of that cranberry gin. to put Or the cranberry blood. gin. Perfect yeah. for the summer. There Cut up in a lime, have at it. Uh, so, yeah. You've been doing virtual classes, prohibition cocktails, summer party cocktails. I love this idea. Nothing's on the on the schedule right now, correct? Moving forward for no, I, I believe we 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 do have some. I okay. have Sorry, but you know it's changing every day. So there's I'm sure there will be something very soon. I know. I love the idea. As we're all just stuck where we are. Teach, right. My mind is a sponge. Teach me about prohibition cocktails or what I should be drinking on the on the porch or, or the veranda when it's nice outside. Yeah, it's great because it's also social, you know, and I feel that we're so starved for that. And it's nice to have a social experience where you meet people you don't know, you know, right. they're phrases. <laughs> and I feel like that's been really nice. And, and you know, I've done a few classes and my, my team has done a lot of amazing, amazing classes. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a great experience to get together with other people and and also just to schmooze. You know, you, you learn something, you learn some fun cocktails, but I think you learn, you know, about other people too and what they're going through. And, and it's another way to just be in this moment and make the most of it together, I think. Um, and it's just one of the many ways, but I'm glad that we can offer, you know, something social. I love that because one of my nagging fears is that once I'm able to go out in the world more often and see people, Will it be weird? Will I, will I know how to communicate with others face-to-face? -face? Will I be really awkward? I don't know. So it's probably good to have more conversations online, like the virtual classes, just to keep those skills sharp, communicating oh, with others. So we're not all, all goofy when we step out into the real world. Exactly. And if you learn how to make some cocktails, then you can have a few of those before you go into the real world. And then, you know, whether you're goofy or not, you'll feel fine. <laughs> so the... Uh, 
the website is Koval Distillery. Distillery. And people can check you out. Grab your grab your whiskey, grab your rye, grab your cranberry gin, your liqueurs. Uh, I love what you do. And I mean, it's, you're doing all the right stuff. And it's been a real pleasure having you on tonight. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure being here. I really appreciate it. I'm going to stop the Facebook Live. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you, Jason, for saying delish. Big fan. <laughs> That's great. Thank True. you, Jason. <laughs> and, all right. So we're going to stop that. And thank you. That was, I thought that was wonderful. I really appreciate you doing it. Sure. Anytime. Anytime. It was, a, it was great. <laughs>